This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. A number of months ago, I had uh, just dropped my five-year-old daughter, Piper, at preschool and I was pulling out of the preschool. It's on a very busy road in Marrickville and as I was kind of edging my way out past some parked cars, I saw a motorcycle rider coming my way and... I kind of, he, he saw me, I saw him, I kind of apologized for kind of sneaking out into his lane. And then as he drove past, I looked right to check if there was any oncoming, oncoming traffic, turned into the lane. And as I looked down Marrickville Road, I saw a car pull out in front of him. The motorcycle hit the front of the car. He flew in the air, landed on the ground, got up, stumbled a few steps and then collapsed over the double white lines in the middle of the road there. Very busy road. And I was the car immediately behind him. I slammed the car into park, pulled the handbrake up, jumped out of the car and ran to the scene with two other first responders who were there, the guy who was driving in the opposite direction and a a woman who was walking down the street. The guy who was driving opposite was right there. He jumped out and he was frantically trying to get the motorcycle helmet off this guy's head. And myself and this other woman came running over and said, stop, no, 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 you, you can't move his neck. You, you don't know what's happened there. Keep him still, leave the helmet alone. And I jumped in there and grabbed the guy's helmet and pushed my, my thumbs against his shoulders and against the helmet to keep his neck still while calling triple zero and trying to you know, hold the phone against my ear. The guy um, started to lose consciousness, um, yelling at him through the visor of his helmet to try and keep him alert whilst trying to talk to the the emergency triple zero. He went into shock and everything started to twitch and shake and he passed out of consciousness. And uh, we waited for a long time for the ambulance to arrive. It was surprisingly very close. It took him a very long time to get there. But soon emergency services arrived. They literally cut this guy's inadequate motorcycle clothing off. He was literally wearing trackies and a and a Kathmandu jacket. Uh, he had broken his pelvis. And they put a neck brace and a pelvis brace on him. They took him, they put him in the ambulance. And after giving statements to police, I walked the way back to the car, shaking with adrenaline, come down. And I got into the car trying to process what had just happened, what I'd seen. And after driving for a few minutes, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I think I'm the Good Samaritan. I am the Good Samaritan. I was like, hell yes. This morning I was the good freaking Samaritan as I got out of the car and I was like all proud of myself for like three seconds until it dawned on me that I'd so readily identified myself with the hero in the story when reality was probably more comfortable identifying with the villains in the story, if I'm honest with myself. That there have been rare moments where I will jump out of the car to to aid someone in need and there are countless other opportunities where I walk past a homeless person or see someone in need and do nothing about it. It's interesting, isn't it, as we read the stories of the New Testament, we so quickly identify with the heroes in the story. Or is it just me? Is it just me who does that? I think we do that. And when reality, Jesus tells parables often to shake us out of our complacency. I don't know if you've ever heard the, you know, that pithy little definition of what a parable is. A parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? That's cute, right? And that's not what parables are. In fact, parables, Jesus often tells parables to get a response out of people, to shake them out of complacency, to, to make them 
feel something, to feel a rebuke or to feel angry. And often you will see people getting angry at Jesus as he tells a parable. And that was the point. Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan, not because there's some like, uh, you know, heavenly story that God needs to tell us through this earthly, you know. No, he wants to shake us out of our complacency. And he wants to shake this lawyer out of his complacency. This lawyer has come to Jesus. He's an expert in the law. And he comes and it says there to test Jesus. He says to him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, will you tell me? No, no, sorry. The question is, how will I inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, well, you, you tell me. Throws, throws back a question at him. So just so you know, in GC, when your GC leader throws back a question at you and you're like, you know, what's the meaning of life? And they're like, well, what does everyone else think? Don't judge your GC leader for that. They're just being like Jesus. That what Jesus that's what Jesus does. It's clever. Jesus often answers a question with a question. Tell me what you think. The man says, well, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's it. Bang on. Go do it and you'll live. And the man, as he receives that response from Jesus, thinks to himself, yeah, okay, go and love, you know, love God, cool. Love my neighbor as myself. What's the fine print on that? How do I put a boundary around that command? Because that seems pretty extensive and exhaustive to love my neighbor as myself. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus responds with this parable that he's told to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus, in his infinite godness and cleverness, he inverts this man's question. So at the end of this parable, he will leave the man with the question of not who is my neighbor, not what sieve do I need to run people through and love the people that make it and not love the people that don't, but what type of neighbor am I? Not who can I put a boundary around and exclude, but what type of person am I? What type of neighbor am I? What is my response to those around me? Jesus tells this story of three characters, a Levite, a priest, and a Samaritan. It's kind of the equivalent of, uh, of this. Imagine we come to church this morning and there is a guy lying face down in a pool of blood on Victoria Road there and he reeks of alcohol. Clearly he's had a big night and a pastor from Anchor Church has parked around the corner and they're running late for church and they come in and they see the man and they run around and come into church. And then a guy who works for the Salvation Army has been working a long night shift on the beat, ministering to people, and he comes home and thinks, oh, not another one, scoots around him and, and gets home to his family. And then, and then a guy who is a part of an alt-right movement comes. He's racist. He hates everyone. He's a white supremacist. And he comes and he sees a person in need and he begins to minister to this person and care for them. Right? That's the cultural equivalent of this story that Jesus is telling. Two heroes and a villain. And the villain is not the person that you would expect it to be. In fact, the good guys are the bad guy and the bad guy is the good guy. And Jesus does that all the time in his parables. And so he tells this story to invert the question and redefine what it looks like to love others and to love your neighbor. And so this morning, I want to look at the five qualities of neighbor love that we see here in this parable. This is not an exhaustive list of what it looks like to love your neighbor and to love others. But these are the five things that I see here in this passage, five qualities of neighbor love. And they are this, love is sincere, 
Love is often risky. Love is proximate. Love is impartial. And love is generous. It's sincere. It's risky. It's proximate. It's impartial. And it is generous. Firstly, those who love their neighbors, those who love others, love out of a heart of sincerity. This Man's actions are not done out of a sense of obligation and duty. He has no obligation as a Samaritan to this Jewish man lying in a bloody mess by the side of the road. Have a look at what it says there in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. Now that word compassion means that he had this deep felt gut response that launched him forward into action. Perhaps a distinction is empathy is putting yourself in another person's shoes to feel what they feel. Compassion does that and then does something about it. Compassion is moving this man to action. It's the fuel that gets him to do something while others did nothing as they walked past. And it is the very thing that moved Jesus to open the eyes of the blind, to touch the lepers, to make the lame walk, to raise the dead and to heal the sick. Time and time again, Jesus has compassion. A deep, heartfelt, sincere response to a need, an injustice or a difficulty of another image bearer of God that does something about it. I think it's very easy for us to view people from just through a worldly lens. We view people through the way that our world views people, the way that our culture views people, either via their ethnicity or their age or their socioeconomic background or their sex or their, um, their cultural background, their class. But genuine love for neighbour looks past the externals and is in its sincerity meets the needs of another human being, an image bearer of God. In fact, Paul will say this in Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul says, after telling the church to put off all of these things, he says, now clothe yourself, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Compassion ought to be a mark, a a characteristic, a defining characteristic of God's people. This is what we ought to be like, clothing ourselves with compassionate hearts. So the first thing we learn here is that love is sincere. It's genuine. It responds to the need of another human being in action. So how might we respond? Well, at the very least, I think we could begin to pray a risky prayer. A prayer that says, God, would you open my heart to the needs of others? Would you help me to have a heart of compassion like you, like Jesus? Would you help me to see people who are in need, other image bearers, human beings, and feel what I ought to feel, feel the way you feel about them? And pray a risky prayer like that. And I say risky because when you pray a prayer like that, God wants us to be the answer to that prayer and he requires action of us. At the very least, we can begin to pray a risky prayer that gets us out of our comfort zone. God, help me to to have a compassionate heart. Expand my heart for those around me. So the first is genuine love for others, genuine neighbor love is sincere. The second is that often it's risky. 
often it's risky to love other people. You notice in this story here that we're given some historical context here. This man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 27 kilometer journey from the mountains down the hill and it's through a windy terrain that is notoriously dangerous. Everyone knew that on this trip, there were all these alcoves and caves and and little rocky alcoves where robbers and criminals and thieves could hide and ambush you and pounce on you and rob you. And so everyone knew that this was a notoriously dangerous trip And as this man so happens to travel on this journey, he's ambushed, he's robbed, and he's beaten, and he is left half dead. As the Samaritan approaches this man in need, you can imagine the thought going through the back of his mind, is this a trap? If I help this person, will I myself get robbed? Will I be the victim here? Is this a trap? And the Samaritan looking at the situation and assessing it, decides to take a risk and to step out in compassion and help this man and meet his need. You know, a number of years ago, we were meeting at um, PACT, the previous venue we were before we met here. And during our church service, a guy who had been sleeping rough came in, joined us for church. Uh, He'd fallen upon hard times and had been sleeping rough for about a couple of weeks and he was in between jobs trying to find work and some of our our welcomers greeted him and welcomed him into church and as he started to talk with people after church he happened to be chatting with Nige and Nick May who are part of our 9am gathering and leaders of the Redfern GC and Nige and Nick decided to invite this guy out for lunch so they went out out to lunch with a bunch of people from church and invited this guy with them for lunch. During lunch, they both felt a real sense of um, need to invite this man to come and stay at their house. They had a spare bedroom in their apartment and they felt called by God to be generous and offer this man a room in their house. And so after praying and contacting staff and getting wisdom and saying, is this smart? Is this dumb? What should we do? We feel like God wants us to do this. They decided to offer this man a room for the night in their house. Now you've got to admit that that's a very risky scenario. They have, they've just met this man. They've got no idea who who he is, what his story is. In fact, Nige had to get up to work early knowing that he would leave the house potentially before this man left the house with his wife alone. Sometimes genuine love for another person requires us to take a risk. But chances are we all begin to do the thought process. Well, what if if this comes comes back to bite me? What if I open my heart to this person and it gets broken and I end up being the one who gets hurt? What what if, what if, what if? Often, in order to love a person, in order to be a good neighbor, we need to take a risk. Now, not everyone's called to take that type of a risk that Nigel and Nick have uh, have done. And it, it turned out okay, just so you know, in case you were worrying about Nicolette's safety, that was totally fine. But sometimes... We're called to take a risk. So love for neighbor is sincere. Sometimes love for neighbor is risky, but not all the time. Sometimes it is. And thirdly, love for neighbor is proximate. Love gets proximate. If you have a look here in verse 31 and 32, the priest and the Levite, they both cross the road to avoid this man in need. Have a look at verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, He passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came down to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, we don't really know what the motives are for these guys. We're not really told in the story, but we could guess at what's driving some of this behavior for these guys because both the priest and the Levite perhaps had ceremonial function in the temple. And in order to help this man who we're told is lying half dead, these guys took the risk of getting too close, too proximate to a dead body and thus defiling themselves and becoming ceremonially unclean which meant that as they arrived, they wouldn't have been able to perform their duty in the temple. They would have had to fulfill the requirements for ceremonial cleanliness, a sacrifice, a season of being away from people, and would have been unable to perform their priestly duties. And so perhaps it's religious caution that caused the priest and the Levite to step over the need that they see in front of them that day. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of um, that NRMA ad. I don't know if you've seen that NRMA ad, the, the roadside services ad, where there is a guy who's applying for a job to be a roadside technician with the NRMA. And he jumps in his car and he's driving to the job interview. And as he's driving, he happens to see a car broken down and is bucketing with rain. And so he jumps out and helps the person and so turns up to the interview with his nice you know, outfit completely drenched and late. And of course, he gets the job. And Aaron is saying, that's the type of people that we employ, people who go out of their way and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of got me thinking, imagine the priest and the Levite did actually get down on their knees, help this man, care for him. They turn up to temple the next day and they're like, hey guys, look, sorry, um, we can't perform our duties today because we just so happen to, in compassion and mercy, help a man who was dead by the side of the road. We're now defiled. Here is the sacrifice. We're out for a week, but there's a thousand other priests who can do this duty for it. Can you imagine everyone going, oh, I can't believe it. What type of a priest does that? What type of a priest cares for those in need? You, you just can't imagine people. I mean, you know, can't imagine, you know, me being late to church. Someone going, I can't believe you were late because you were look, talking to a homeless guy in the street. What a jerk, right? And yet it seems here that these guys use religious caution as an excuse to overlook the needs of another human being. You know, the very thing that causes these Jewish people that they ought to be proximate is the fact that God is the one who drew near to them, that God is the one who came near, that God in fact chose to dwell in their presence in the midst of their camp and provide a sacrificial system that allowed them, them to be close to him. And that's the very thing that they're using as an excuse to push this guy away. Genuine love for those who are in need, genuine neighbouring looks like getting proximate, getting close and often getting messy and so this guy this this Samaritan here he decides to dismount from his animal and get involved in the mess to get close so firstly genuine love is sincere secondly it is risky or sometimes it's risky thirdly it is proximate and fourth it is impartial it is not divided by culture or ethnicity or race or political alignment. You'll notice here that this man is a Samaritan. Now, as 
um, as Jesus is telling this story, and he, he picks there two religious figures, you know, the anchor pastor and the salvos guy, right? Two religious upstanding figures in the in Jewish first century culture. And then the final guy who they were probably expecting was a Jewish layperson. You know, just an ordinary Joe Blow. He comes down the street and he's the hero. But Jesus introduces a Samaritan into the story. Now, a Samaritan, for those of you who aren't aware, Samaritans were kind of half-breeds, mongrels, if you like. They were people who had a Jewish background but had chosen to intermarry with the nations around them, the very thing that God had told them not to do. And so the Jewish people viewed the Samaritans with contempt and indignation and in fact hated them. And if you saw a Samaritan walking down the street as a Jew, you would cross the road and go to the other side. And so Jesus inserts this character into the story intentionally to say, if you want to be a neighbour, if you want to be someone who meets the needs of another image bearer of God, it has to transcend class, race and culture. We so often want to put people through a sieve and judge whether or not they make the cut. And Jesus is saying, genuine love for the neighbour does not exclude someone on the basis of their ethnic background. The Samaritan has every reason to do that. He's hated by the Jews. He's got no obligation to this guy. And yet he chooses to love his neighbour. He chooses to love an other irrespective of that difference. So love is sincere, love is often risky, love is proximate, and love is impartial. And finally, love is generous. Love is generous. It does more than the bare minimum. And you'll see that guy, he does that here. The Samaritan does far more than the bare minimum. Have a look at what he he does in verse 34. The Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I I will repay you when I come back. So this man takes of his own provision, his own supplies wine and oil and you might think that is a very strange thing to pour on a guy and it's just really the cultural equivalent of Dettol and Bepanthin you know it's like antiseptic and painkiller you pour on wine to kill the germs and you pour on oil to you know take take the pain away and, and cover the wounds and so this man of his own provisions he decides to provide for this man, he, he begins to care for this man, to offer first aid, to take away his pain, to ensure that infection doesn't set in. Of his own cost, he does that. The next thing you notice is that he puts the man on his own animal, be that a horse or a donkey or an ox or whatever he was traveling with. That slowed him down. That made him susceptible to further attacks and ambush because he's slow. Uh, to his own cost, he's generous towards this man. And then he gets to the inn and he stays at the inn And he cares for the man. He ministers to his needs. And the next day he says to the innkeeper, here are are two denarii. Now that's the equivalent of two months worth of accommodation. So clearly this man is beat up. He needs a significant amount of time to recover. And he says to the innkeeper, let him stay. I've paid two months in advance. And if there are any more costs that add up, I will pay it when I get back. This guy has gone over and and above. He has not just done the bare minimum. He's not just taking him to the inn and said, here you go, buddy, you're on your own from this point. He has been generous, abundantly, 
graciously generous towards this Samaritan. Love for our neighbor requires generosity. It requires going above the bare minimum. And, you know, at least for Compassion Sunday, that means not just a thoughtless direct deposit that comes out each month, but that means engaging in relationship, in letter writing, in being involved with taking your photo and sending it to the kids, in praying for your compassion child, as Em has so helpfully reminded us of this morning. You know, compassion is a real opportunity to, for those of you who are parents, to use this partnership as an opportunity to disciple your kids. I was chatting to James Stinson during the week and James and Jules use the Compassion logo, which there's a little story behind that logo, as a visual reminder of what it looks like to care for the poor. As they disciple and shape their kids to have a heart of compassion for those, to lift their eyes beyond their world and to see that there are people who God calls us to minister to. In our house, we pray for our Compassion kids and I admit we're a bit behind on the letter writing front. But um, we pray for our Compassion Kids after evening Bible reading and, uh, and devotion together. And we ask our kids to pray for really specific things for Indago and for Kesha. This partnership with Compassion is more than the bare minimum. It's not a thoughtless direct deposit. It goes above and beyond. It gets proximate, as proximate as we can. Sometimes it even goes to the Philippines on a short-term mission trip, which I'm sure there's going to be no shortage of people signing up for. So... Love for neighbor, love for other is sincere. Sometimes it's risky, it's proximate, it's impartial, and it is generous. But all of this stems from and overflows from the love of God for us. Because in the end, Jesus is the true good Samaritan. You see, Jesus is the one who truly gets proximate. He is the one who leaves the throne of heaven and crosses this universe to be born into abject poverty and obscurity, the son of a virgin born in Bethlehem. He is the one who is God incarnate, God with us, who comes to this world and gets proximate amongst the mess of this world. Jesus is the one who is truly generous, who gives of everything that he has above and beyond, gives of his very life to pour his blood out that he would redeem us and reconcile us back to the Father. Jesus is the one who is truly impartial, not just dying for a small select group of people, but for every single image bearer who has walked away from God that he would draw back into relationship. Jesus is the true good Samaritan. And He is the one who fills us with this type of love. See, the the type of love that we're talking about here has to bubble up out of the overflow of the love of God in our lives. You can only put this out if this has been put in for you. Love that is sincere and risky and proximate and generous and impartial. It's by the power of the Spirit that we are sent as God's agents of compassion and mercy and kindness to a world that is so broken. And we get to join God and participate in His mission of being His hands and feet to this world, of not just speaking of God's love, but of enacting God's love. And so imagine a church that looked like that, a church full of people who loved with these characteristics of love, sincerity, getting involved in mess, transcending cultural and racial backgrounds, being generous. 
You know, I was struck by the closing words of that parable. Jesus says to the lawyer at the end of it, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Be like the Good Samaritan. That's what he's saying. A number of years ago, I remember a preacher getting to the end of the parable and saying, it's not really about loving other people. It's actually about the first question that the man asks, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And I was like, actually, no, I think what that means in the original language is go and do the same. Go and do likewise. Go and be a good neighbour. See, Jesus inverts the question. The question isn't how do I inherit eternal life? He's answered that one. The question is, who is my neighbour? Can I run people through a sieve? Can I put a boundary around people? Love these, reject those. Jesus flips the question and says, well, what type of neighbour are you? What is a good neighbour? It's not about who, it's actually about you. Imagine a church that was like that. Go and do the same. I want to encourage you to start by praying a risky prayer for God to expand your heart for those who are in need, for God to give you a heart of compassion for those image bearers in our life that God calls us to love and to minister to and to be the hands and feet of Jesus too. I want to say that compassion gives us a really simple way. There's, there's honestly no risk in meeting someone's need this morning, a child, releasing a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Unless you yourself are living on the poverty line, there's no risk for most of us in this room to love, to be compassionate, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people. So I want to encourage you as you feel led this morning to go and sponsor a child and release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Church, we are reminded this morning of a God who is compassionate and were it not for the loving compassion and mercy of our God, we would be left stuck in our own mess, brokenness and sin. This morning, we have a tangible reminder of that compassion of God in the Lord's Supper. There are four stations in our room, two down the front, two to the side with bread and grape juice. They are symbols that remind us of the compassion of God, that Jesus' body was broken, that His blood was shed for your forgiveness. So if you're a follower of Jesus, call yourself a Christian, we invite you to participate in this meal during the next set of worship. Come forward, do business with God, dip the bread in the grape juice, eat it and remember the compassion of God and pray that risky prayer. God, expand my heart for those in need. Our prayer team will be up the back. They would love to pray for you. Whatever need you have this morning, please head to the back. They have orange lanyards around their neck. They would love to pray for you. And finally, our giving containers are going to come around during the next song. We invite those of you who are partnered at Anchor to give generously as God has been generous to us. If you're a guest here this morning, you're under no obligation to give. Simply let those pass you by or put your Connect card and your pen in there. and our Connect team will get in touch with you. But I'm going to pray. So we invite you to stand, church, as we respond to this good and gracious God this morning. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you for your compassion. We thank you as you looked upon humanity's dire brokenness and need, our spiritual death, that you acted in the greatest act of compassion known to humanity, you sent your one and only Son. God, out of response to that, we want to be a compassionate people, a people who would see another image bearer in need and 
be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us by your Holy Spirit. Father, we want to pray a dangerous prayer today. Please expand our hearts. Give us hearts of compassion. Help us to be your people so that this world would see, not just hear, but see your love in action. Strengthen us by your Spirit, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.